Anthony, welcome to the Commerce Talks podcast today in Berlin. We just wanted to take the opportunity uh, before our big working session uh, to discuss the US e-commerce market. I will give you like the uh, short summary about the European e-commerce market like in a minute. Uh, but before I'm going to do that, please introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Anthony Suhu. I uh, am a Fortune 50 executive as well as an entrepreneur. I've done uh, worked across digital, especially in technology, media, as well as commerce. Uh, my last role was as executive vice president at Walmart, running the home division. Nice. So, um, and we were always wondering here from the German perspective, so how is it in the US when it comes to e-commerce? Because it's so Amazon dominated, like all the conversation and all like the, the online shops. When... Um, Uh, when, when I had to summarize the e-commerce development in Europe, usually we we're starting with, okay, initially, like all the, um, all the mail order retailers try to move their old mail order business into like an online shop, but they still believe they are relevant as an, uh, mail order retailer. So pushing for the brand to mm -hmm. come to us and then you will find the best assortment for furniture or for, for fridges or, mm -hmm. um, or whatever. Uh, and this, they were kind of replaced by, um, specialized online shop that did the whole like SEO, SEA game much better than their competition. Uh, for example, Zalando started mm -hmm. as a fashion online retailer in 2008. And this like moved the whole game away from being the best brand into like, okay, we should have like the biggest assortment and a good availability mm -hmm. in our stores. Uh, and then we might have a good chance to get the customer when he's searching on Google in this moment, uh, with an, with an advertising. And then Amazon became bigger and bigger and bigger in Germany. Um, and now it's, I think, controlling 50% of the e-commerce market. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we have some specialists like Zalando for fashion, Toman for audio. So some specialists are still there that are that are really controlling their respective category. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of the last 15 years e-commerce um, development. Uh, very few made money. So where like before e-commerce, all the old retailers really earned like the huge ones, like just earn tons of money. Like in the new world, it was hard for all of them, like to earn money and to make a buck in e-commerce because mm -hmm. it was like it's such a fast and global competition. And then we were, we were always wondering, okay, how did it go like last 20 years in the US? So was it like the same pressure? Because we don't see a Zalando there. We don't see a Toman there. So some of the older traditional retailers just like set up an online shop, but it's kind of a super Amazon dominated industry. So am I too pessimistic here? Well, I would say in the US, uh, certainly Amazon is the leader in, uh, in e-com. And I think that it's been driven really over the last 28 years since it existed. And the reason right now I see them continue to dominate is that if you have heard that term, if it does, if you search something on Google, if you don't find it, it doesn't exist. Well, I think in commerce, it's the same thing for mm. commerce because, uh, if a consumer starts thinking about an item that they want to purchase over about over 50% of all queries for products start on Amazon. And so as a result, since they own that search box and they are actually big and bigger in search than Google, Uh, they dominate that market while other retailers mm. kind of fight for the remaining share and they have to then, uh, there's a lot of competition for those keywords on Google, Instagram, Facebook, wherever else you want to kind of look for those items. So uh, what I see in the U.S. market is that Amazon has really done an amazing job of, uh, of really taking over that, that frame of consciousness when consumers are looking to shop. First, they go to Amazon first, and that's been their big moat. 
The other thing that's been amazing about what that company's done is they've taken things that have been their big cost centers and turned them into uh, profit centers. And you've seen that what they've done with their advertising-based business as well as the marketplace. Um, and you can make a case ADWS is also that way as well. And if you look out at the next wave of where technology is going, obviously we've discussed, uh, especially with AI, it depends on, it really is dependent on how great your data set is. And, uh, you know, they've been collecting a lot of, I would say, very strong structured data, but a lot of stuff with generated value, you need unstructured data. And I think that they are probably the leader in terms of capturing all that because not just consumer behavior, but they've captured a lot of data among how their whole supply chain works. Now, I think that, uh, and we can go into this a little bit more, they don't have direct relationships with all the direct makers of these items and hence where I think there's going to be an opportunity and maybe potentially where the weakness is. Yeah. So, so when you go like shopping for fashion in, yeah. the, in the US and I, and I, and I guess you don't have time to like drive to, there's no, not so much inner cities <laughs> in the US. So here, like in, in Europe, people would say I would go to the inner city of Berlin and mm -hmm. try to find some boutique in the US is usually a mall. But if you don't have time to go to a mall, if you shop fashion online, do you use Amazon? Because most people in Germany would say Zalando about you, maybe ASOS, some international stores. Yes, Amazon has like a huge fashion online share too for basic items. Mm -hmm. uh, but people would not claim that they use this as their main fashion destination. I don't think people start uh, shopping on Amazon first for fashion. What they do do is they shop and look at uh, a place like Lululemon or one of the other, uh, let's just say, D2C sites. And then what they will then do is then do the price comparison on Amazon. And Amazon typically has had much more uh, products that I would say are more similar to, uh, okay. but not necessarily the identical items. And sometimes it's a uh, good so I want to have this Lululemon shirt, but maybe without the Lululemon price tag and sticker on it. Yeah, or, or you... Uh, You know, you want to buy a pair of uh, a golden goose, but you don't want to pay $500 for it. And you might be able to find a pair for 50 bucks. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. But um, so from my market understanding and when we analyzed like 10 years ago, like market opportunities in the US would have been there must be like a specialized uh, multi-brand retailer for fashion, maybe even like a specialized multi-retailer for some consumer electronic device, because what you definitely see on Amazon and other Uh, global platforms that do have a huge problem like in assortment management. So they can, they cannot guide you finding the best smartphone, the best camera, the best, um, sports shoe, whatever. So there's definitely a reason for multi-brand retailers and specific niches to, to exist. But the, when, when I just looked up the biggest e-commerce destinations, uh, sites in, in the US, you see like, The, the traditional retailer names like Kroger's, Target, uh, Walmart, and obviously Amazon dominating uh, the market. Why, why is it? Is there like an ex explanation for this? It's like, yeah, it comes down to kind of assortment and how they're managed in the U.S. And I can't speak about Europe as much, but what I will say is that while uh, brands like Amazon and other retailers might carry some of these big brands like Nike, they certainly don't get their cream of the crop, top of their line assortment. And so what you will find is the most common things that have been sold like two seasons, three seasons ago, or the most popular SKUs might show up on Amazon, the ones that are below a certain threshold. Or, but the things that drive traffic are, are held off by the traditional um, uh, brands so that the, they're trying to drive their traffic to Lululemon or they're trying to drive their traffic mm. to uh, 
uh, to Nike.com. And I think that that's kind of held back the idea of the supermodel that you're talking about for fashion or apparel, because if you're looking for it, the nature of apparel is you want to find the latest stuff. And there isn't one place you can find the latest stuff that has everything. In the U.S.? In the U.S. In the U.S. Okay, interesting. And uh, maybe let's take a moment from with the D2C um, uh, phenomena. So... D2C brands had like a hard time uh, to scale because in Germany, because like the market is too small. So like to reach like, let's say like 100 million in, in revenue, that would, um, that would, uh, um, that would justify your investment in an online shop on logistics, warehouse, whatever was hard, was hard to reach. Mm-hmm. It really came up with, um, uh, with the rise of Facebook and like with the ability to really reach your certain customers in, in communities. Would you say like D2C brands in the US have, have like an easier time to reach customers or is like, is it equivalently expensive for them to reach customers? I think it's easy to reach customers in the U.S. because the marketing channels are so efficient. That being said, because of you, whoever you want to reach yeah. and demo, you can you can find that customer. Yeah. Uh, the tough thing is making the economics work where you can drive the second purchase. I think that there are so many different choices in the U.S. Mm. that when a consumer is looking, they might buy the first purchase based on uh, the item exactly fits what their needs are, as well as the fact that they saw an interesting ad. And then the next time you go back, you're being attracted by a new ad and people can't remember, um, uh, where they shopped or where they made the purchase. I can, you know, compare it. It's more akin to, uh, when you look at streaming, uh, right now and you look at one of these things like YouTube TV and there's 500 channels. When you watch a show, you can't actually remember which channel that came from. Yes, was a show on, yeah. was it on NBC? Was it on FX? Was it on Fox? I think you're seeing the same thing when in these super malls sometimes, uh, phenomenon. People remember they bought it from Amazon. That's all they need to remember because Amazon is basically their TV. Yeah. Yeah. And same for me. So, so it's like Amazon is my like private ERP system. I usually say because then I, then I get to see because I'm ordering like so much like for the family and for the firm yeah. that I can see, okay, what was ordered last week? Where's like, what's like the status? So yeah. where is it? Uh, can I send it back? And like for other items, usually I have to figure out, okay, I have this, I have this, I've ordered this specific item at, I don't know, one, two, three shop.com. Uh, how does the return process work? So did, do I have login data for the shop somehow? So it's, yeah, definitely it's like, um, it's like a winner takes the most, um, phenomena. But this wasn't always the case, um, uh, in the first years of e-commerce. And what we see, what we saw here in Europe, almost, um, in every country with every older retailer was like, um, 10 years lasting discussion about omni-channel and multi-channel. It was multi-channel first and then it moved to omni-channel. I don't know why they needed like mm-hmm. another word saying, okay, mm-hmm. this must be like the winning model because, uh, we are offering, <laughs> we are offering the advantages from old channels. Uh, so my conclusion was they're just like hoarding the disadvantages and the costs of all channels, but ne- never came to present the advantages. So was it a similar discussion in the US or was it different? No, I think that there were some similar discussions. I think that the idea of is, is that, look, you have one customer, they shop at uh, your stores or they shop online. If it doesn't matter, they want to have one relationship with a brand. Uh, I think the challenge that we've seen in the U.S. is that because the traditional retailers have had so many uh, different systems they've built over the years, their customers still look to the retailer like they're two different customers because the systems aren't completely integrated. And in general, there's also some retailers, uh, I, I can say in the U.S., that 
where they have different teams, even though they call themselves an omnichannel retailer, where the customer file for online is different from the, the store side. So inside the company, they think of that customer differently. And so that's not really doesn't play is that well. Is it still well. the case? It's still, uh, it's still the case with some retailers, yes. Uh, just because I think merging some of those customer files has proven more challenging than they thought. Um, then, then I think the biggest challenge might be unlocking and then doing and trying to integrate uh, in a seamless way the supply chain because uh, people don't realize this, but when you bring items into the States, there's obviously a different distribution network to bring your items to a store versus, let's just say, uh, putting your items and shipping it directly to consumers. There's, uh, in fact, something's called a distribution center, and there's a difference between a distribution center and something called fulfillment center. Fulfillment center is centered around shipping directly to a customer versus a distribution center is really much more optimized to distribute uh, large pallets of items to your store. And so as a result, since those things are different, uh, you really have to work hard with uh your suppliers to make sure they ship the right items to the right places. Ideally, there's no distinguishment between how you fill to a store and online, and that's going to help make things a lot more seamless and easy. But you you worked for a couple of retailers, and you're, I'm pretty pretty sure you're close to some of your peers at the other retailers. Is this kind of omni-channel discussion? Is it still live? So is it still people still believe that like providing the best experience on all channel is the winning model? Where I believe there are categories where this is true, like DIY. For example, because like there's lots of stuff on DIY, which is very hard to ship, uh, mm -hmm. and where you need like the customer picking it up, picking it up, picking it up. Otherwise, it just not, doesn't make sense, and mm -hmm. you don't have enough staff to fulfill like pallets of cement and what like uh, putting on trailers to your house. So pe people must come. But most of the items you shop are like are like really are shippable. Like you mm -hmm. can pack them in a box and send them to you. Whenever this is the case, I would say Omnichannel is uh, dead. So I have this kind of extreme view because this is kind of helping me like guiding them towards uh e-commerce but i believe that in for many retailers this discussion is kind of dead in in europe is it still alive in the u.s or do, yeah. you, or do they believe in other channels like uh, we we talked before the podcast about um not only um, live shopping and tv shopping though there might be other channels they want to move to Yeah, I mean, live shopping or what we talked about is, uh, it's just part of e-com, I think, in a lot of people's minds. What I would say is that, I, and I can't speak for, uh, the former places where I used to work, but what I will say is that, uh, of all the traditional retailers that I've talked to, uh, Omnichannel in their mind is still alive and well because they actually do need to integrate those channels together. Now, uh, I think the big challenge is finding efficiency in those channels. Uh, for them because, you know, they, if you look at it, it's easy to try to present an, a front face to your customer. But the other parts of it is for, you know, the 10, 20 retailers, I, big retailers I can think of, they actually need to redesign their whole supply chain to optimize it. And it comes down to not just how you source the product, but how the item is packaged no. because the item that you put on the shelf actually looks different than what you ship directly to a consumer for cost reasons, as well as uh, breakage. So something you put on a shelf might not necessarily make it to a customer's store to home. That's why I think the promise of local delivery, especially with groceries, is such a big deal right now for a lot of retailers. Yeah, 
let's save the uh, the the grocery delivery discussion like for 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 a bit later here in the in the podcast. Like, may, let's maybe stick with the journey, transformational journey of the um, of the of the um, uh, mail order or more retailers, because like when they. And there's like part, part three in their journey when they realized omnichannel is maybe not like a universal help. They moved into, okay, let's become a marketplace because why is Amazon winning? They have more products, but they don't need to um, pay for all the inventory because all the marketplace sellers are, uh, are, um, are holding the inventory and just ship via Amazon and not in some, in some cases, not even ship or fulfill via Amazon, but ship from their own warehouses. So we, we target, we also want to become like a marketplace and then we are winning again because on top of the marketplace, we still have Omnichannel. That's kind of the discussion we mm. saw. That's, that's, well, that's what I saw. Uh, none of them have, uh, especially in Europe, none of them have put it off or it takes them super, super long to become a marketplace because moving away from this kind of mindset, we have to control the assortment and the quality and we control what the customer is seeing in a certain category into, okay, Let's everybody invite to use our landing page. It seems to be something which is almost like unbearable for uh, procurement departments. Um, so, but, but it's like, how have you seen this in the US? I think there's a lot of marketplace proliferation. I mean, you see it from Target, you see it from Macy's, you see it from every retailer, including very niche retailers. Everyone's trying to kind of create marketplace. And I think that, uh, if you were a seller of items, you would be more than happy to put it in multiple retail locations because it's free distribution. Yes. But I think the area of efficiency will be where do you want to store it to get it fulfilled? And if you are actually selling, let's just say on a Target or a Dick's or somewhere, a Dick's Sporting Goods or, or, um, Best Buy, Best Buy and you get it fulfilled, your customer might still see it in an Amazon box just because uh, they're using it for, they might still be using Amazon fulfillment services yes. or FBA. So it's still free marking for Amazon. Yeah. So, and, and that's what I'm also challenging the discussions because uh, some of the marketplace vendors, um, also software vendors are claiming, okay, install our marketplace. We bring you like 10,000 vendors, um, 10,000 merchants, uh, within our database. So you, so you can immediately expand your category in, uh, in max, like from uh, 10 max into like 1000 max. Mm -hmm. And then say, okay, um, that doesn't make sense at all because successful marketplaces usually are successful because they somehow like, uh, are, uh, create an exclusive assortment because they are the ones where the merchants are selling like exclusively, uh, to that's why customers, um, are coming like and adding this same 1000 merchants, which are kind of desperate because obviously they don't make enough revenue on Amazon. So it's like you'll rather get like the, the bad merchants. <laughs> so that's kind of a desperate move. It doesn't, that it, it just not adds up. It, I think it, it looks good on the slide at Macy's. So saying, okay, we are becoming marketplace. We just added like 2000 or 10,000 new merchants, but I don't see how the math is working in the future. And especially with you, the effect you have uh, described, if it then comes in an Amazon <laughs> box, because Macy's obviously doesn't have the money to build this kind of fulfillment, uh, a center network. Wh where is it going? Well, I think that there's two fronts. The way to look at it, if you were a marketplace seller, even if you are dominant and you do 99% of your business on Amazon, you probably want to diversify. And so from your standpoint, wherever other marketplaces you put on, you're hoping you just get upside and they're probably not cannibalized some, uh, 
through your your items on Amazon. That's what you hope for. I think if you are a retailer, what you're really hoping for, if you're not Amazon and you have this one of these marketplaces, is they weren't going to buy other items. So since they're on our site, if we can just improve conversion a little bit, maybe it makes sense for us. I would say that it hasn't changed the consumer behavior, though. Um, from what uh, I've been able to see in the data, because consumers are still, when they're searching, the search numbers don't indicate that uh, Amazon's share is dropping. And I think in my mind, that's one of the biggest indicators of our customers looking elsewhere to shop for the items that they're looking for, because the search numbers continue to grow um, on Amazon right now for, on, in terms of queries, especially even against Google. So it's indicating to me two things that's happening. One is that uh, P- Amazon's still top of mind for commerce. And then uh, the second thing that speaks to me is that the there's going to be less and less inventory when customers are searching to buy on Google and elsewhere, which is going to drive up those rates, which makes the economics and marketing much more challenging for if you're a traditional retailer. If you're a marketplace seller, it's great because you pay yeah. your 13, 15%. It's based on performance. If you don't sell anything, you don't pay. So you have all the upside. I give you like one counter argument against your, uh, your proposal of like, um, try to get other marketplace channels and uh, not to rely on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, like 10 years ago, we, uh, we founded a company, um, that was called Factor A and it became the biggest, um, Amazon SEO agency in Europe. Yeah. So, and we had like hundreds of brands, uh, working with us and, uh, and we helped them like to sell more successful Amazon. And we had a couple of like D2C brands, like that became big on Amazon. And, uh, and then we always discussed with them, okay, you need to differentiate. You need to build your own direct to consumer channel. And I remember like one, 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 uh, one conversation, which became rather popular in our, in our industry where, um, Jörg was telling me, Alex, that's like on theory, it's good, but you know, every, every sale I'm not making on Amazon. I, I increase the risk that my rank is dropping. So I have to dominate my category for, for my max. Or I think back at the time it was about, uh, um, iPhone, uh, iPhone covers. So every, every direct to consumer, um, uh, sale on my online shop is costing me double. A, mm-hmm. my fulfillment costs are usually higher than 15%. And I cannot use this sale to drive my rankings on Amazon. So, so, and this was, we really need to focus on this one channel, which you can control. And yes, so there might be like, so we need to innovate on the product, which might be harder now with even more Chinese companies, uh, coming in. But this like, there was a huge, uh, motion into, okay, control one channel the best you can, like, and, and ride this, uh, kind of force or wave. I don't know what the expression is in English, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you can, but don't differentiate because differentiation means that you're losing, uh, competitive advantage over, over your main channels. Agree or disagree? Or agree to disagree? I, I disagree with that assertion for two reasons. One is that, um, very first thing is that you're making, a, I think the argument, you have to believe that if you're selling another platform, the same customer would have bought from Amazon. That might be true or true or not, might not be. Um, but there's a reason they might have been shopping on that other site to begin with. Yeah. The second, uh, uh, part of that is that it's been proven across any of these platforms that if you are a content provider and you could say as a marketplace seller is a content provider, you want to avoid being held hostage or being uh, stuck with one platform. Yeah. You saw it with gaming in the early days. If you remember Zynga, their 
They yeah, made ninety nine percent of their revenue came from Facebook, and when Facebook changed their mind, they were screwed. We saw a lot of that with Twitter as well. When people started going on Twitter and Twitter changed their algos about how they were going to rank uh, their app marketplace. And right now, I think that um, it's going to play itself out when Amazon changes an algorithm, even no matter how you your the example you use, when they change their algos, it will affect rankings and products in their algo, depending on what they decide to do. So I think it's just too risky if I was a marketplace seller to be dependent on one channel because it's proven that people change policies. No one stays in the same company forever. And when those things change, okay. uh, you can really be hurt. Okay, I will discuss this with uh, Jörg, who went out of business actually yeah. eventually. But uh, <laughs> but uh, okay, but then let's let's discuss like the the fifth wave, like in e-commerce, because like when when the companies like the Krogers or Macy's realized, okay, we have to become a marketplace, but try to do it the cheap way. It's not working we, that we have discussed already. Um, then um, uh, um, then the next the next thing they realize is that. Um, out of the marketplace business, like the, 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 the retail process itself, it's very hard to get any margin out. So I have to move into like retail media services, financing business, because if you look at the Amazon numbers, um, retail is actually a loss business. Uh, retail media, Amazon marketing is like a huge business. Uh, logistics is a huge business. And you're seeing it even now with the, with the newest IPO from uh, Instacart, yeah. uh, that they're not making any money uh, on the deliveries of groceries uh, mm -hmm. to the households, but like every order is like subsidized by, uh, by retail media money. So in this kind of move, okay, dear procurement department uh, for furniture, um, good job last 20 years, you find good furniture, good manufacturers, and we had a margin and we could make some money. It's like, this seems to be dead for almost every category, because like the margin is squeezed to a level where it's hard like to even get to like the uh, to to net zero. Uh, um, and the only way to earn some money on top is like retail media and to get money from the manufacturer on top. Okay. If you want to successfully sell your furniture or your, your mugs on my platform, give me some money so I can, uh, <laughs> put a banner on the mug section on, on, on my sure. website. Anyway, it's, it's like a, it's a hundred percent mind shift, uh, mind shift cha change because the, the whole drive of profitability last 50 years for those retailers was like the people buying the product and deciding like what is our markup uh, um, to the to the end customers like this seems to be even harder than the first steps like into e-commerce and into marketplace and now um, realizing that you don't earn money by your core uh, processes anymore seems to be unbearable for many um two things i kind of want to call out here is that I think is everyone starts sharing the same kind of playbook that everyone's, uh, either going to put their items on a marketplace or, um, uh, or if you're a retailer, you're going to set up your marketplace. I think over time, what you see is efficiencies start converging into mm. one. And then the people that have the biggest scale, uh, will win out there. The second thing maybe I would kind of call out is that there are certain categories uh where it feels a little bit more commodity i think consumer products yeah. uh seems like that that the lowest price typically wins uh for a brand but there are categories like apparel like uh like beauty 
like home, where actually price is an indicator of quality. So if you have the lowest price, it might not necessarily mean that you're going to win in those markets, because if you have priced the item a little too cheap, what will indicate is it's a clear indicator of the quality of those items where the consumer is actually more concerned because they, those items they need, they can't touch or feel it. And so the price indicates the quality of those items. That being said, you want to offer great value within a price band. And I think that there still might be some opportunities for those brands to, um, to maybe play directly on their site or find a new platform where they could be helpful. Okay, this this leads me like to the next challenge, yeah. <laughs> which means like brands are almost dead, especially yeah. if you go to the big online. Boy, platform. you're negative today. If you, if you, if you, yeah, 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 it's like uh, <laughs> we only have 40 minutes, so we have to like, go step by step, like only uh, two or three like online accusations left. <laughs> the um, the uh, um, if you if you would go like for searching, let's say watches or mm -hmm. socks or shoes now on Amazon, first uh, 95% of the results are. No brands. It's yeah. like you wouldn't like you recognize is this a brand or it's just mm -hmm. like is this is a typo in, yeah. in, in the in the in the text. Uh, uh, so uh, so it's obviously very successful yeah. so that for for no brands because like people are not searching for I don't know we have like usually use like WMF um, frying pans which is mm -hmm. like a German famous brand for mm -hmm. like kitchenware and nobody's searching it for on, on Amazon anymore. People people search for frying pan young family or frying pan fish or affordable frying pan so it's like it, it, it gets much more like commoditized it's the search term itself it's, mm -hmm. the, the brand is not in there anymore which is usually um leveraged by office uh, agent and mostly like chinese um, um, um sellers or manufacturers like uh, they create fake names or just their names um Hong Kong pants, let's uh, mm -hmm. let's say, and then put it on Amazon. Good pictures, good quality, good review management. So, like this, the the brand itself is is replaced by the the uh, the, the review quality and the number of reviews. Mm -hmm. So, four point mm -hmm. nine stars, five thousand reviews. You you would trust Amazon because yeah. you don't need the brand anymore. And now this is even replaced, which is might make it even hard. It makes it even harder with uh, Timu, mm -hmm. like the new marketplace where you see, okay, I've paid for. Those shoes you have on, like I've paid like uh, 30 bucks at Amazon and it, feel, it, it felt like super deal. Now you see the same shoes like for, 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 for $10 at, at Timu, like really the same shoes, same pictures, same manufacturer, uh, uh, and you can get them like in 10 days. It's like, poo, it's like, like until like one year ago, I said, okay, Amazon is winning the game. It's like mm -hmm. really they, they kind of figured it out. Everybody eventually has to sell over them and then like get their margin. But now you have like a, Brands have a huge issue, like where to sell and like to show value on those platforms. And now even the platforms be uh, come under pressure because of new Chinese entrants, uh, um, uh, where they do make a very good job in getting all those people on their app. Okay. That's two questions in one. So what about the brands going forward on platforms? And second is what about the new platforms coming in the market? Well, I think there's always going to be a market for some brands because, uh, if, Brands have built up enough loyalty, they stand for a certain quality bar. But being that being said, when you purchase items on Amazon based on the ratings and reviews, I think that the, and they have a really low price for some of these commodity items. Uh, it's your cost of getting it wrong as a consumer is way lower. And in fact, outside of the example that you use, like shoes for family or whatever, frying pans for family, I think what you find is sometimes customers will say, I'm looking for a Stan Smith equivalent, Adidas, 
or a golden goose equivalent or a golden goose in general. I remember when Allbirds, that was one of the things they, during their, their, at their pinnacle, they, they had said that you, if you typed in on Allbirds, they were selling their shoes for about 129 bucks and you could find an alternative for $25 and it looked like the reviews were high. It looked almost the same, but it wasn't called Allbirds. Um, you know, the, the new phenomenon with Tima and some of those others is interesting because what you find is that from a consumer standpoint, I didn't really know what I wanted, but the cost is so cheap right now or low that my cost of getting it wrong is very low. So I think I'm going to try it for the first time. I see people instead of buying one earring, they buy 10 because yeah. the price is so <laughs> low. It's the same. And uh, you think one pair or two pairs of those are going to be better than the one pair you would have paid at the regular price. You would uh, think so, but it's super successful. Uh, well, I, I think the, the difference I have seen with Timu maybe versus, say, a Wish is that the quality of the items actually are much higher. Um, and um, I do think we're playing in a different time. One of the things that's happened right now uh, versus a few years back is that if you look at China, I would just focus on China as a market in general. They have a lot of excess capacity. And as we know, factories are have to operate with a huge amount of fixed costs for equipment and mm. uh, real estate in their factories just to keep it running. And if you run it below a certain threshold, let's just say 85% capacity, you will lose money. So you have to to keep these things running. And, I, and you know, some factors are higher or lower. I just kind of use that number as an example. But if you, if you need to run it at capacity and there's a path for you, like with Timu to ship directly to a consumer, because and you're going to get the same as if you bought it from sold it to an importer that was going to sell it to a marketplace sell, buyer that was going to put it on Amazon. You would do it in a heartbeat, and the consumer actually wins out. There's other brands like that that we're seeing. I think Quince and Apparel in the U.S. is a big brand. They're selling fifty nine dollar cashmere sweaters or something that typically I think the consumer in the past will pay two hundred dollars in the U.S. market for, and it's because of this new sourcing model of uh, factory to consumer. Do you think, though, so, so we just started like, to think about the uh, factory consumer thing here uh, here in Europe that like kind of like eliminates all middlemen. So not only the middlemen that did some like quality assurance and import stuff, but even like the the, the warehouses uh, um, the, or the distribution centers in the middle. And the, the more I look into it, uh, the more it, it really looks to me as a true danger for retailers, brands, and all people that were involved like in the old value chain. Of, of e-commerce, like when you, when out of a sudden, like a factory based on a trend can come up with like a new, new color of earring or let's say, um, a pink frying pan, like because it's a, it's a Barbie mm -hmm. trend also mm -hmm. puts on a platform, just a picture of it and see, okay, the demand is rising. I produce it. Mm -hmm. Then I ship it like the two weeks, uh, uh, or however the trend is lasting, uh, and I make some money because, uh, I'm just using like, uh, the last like 5% of capacity or because I'm, I'm just good. Like in, I was good in predicting this, this trend. So first week I could have, I sold it like for $15 now and, and like $9 is kind of the, uh, the bare minimum. So I'm, the longer I look into that, uh, the more I'm sweating. I have, I have to say because like, all the strategies we've told like brands like 10 years ago and all this kind of stuff, it's like, it's like it's immediately, immediately like collapsing. So, but, but maybe I'm like over, overreacting here, <laughs> but it's like, but it's, for me, it feels like the doom of like even the next era. 
Well, I think uh, what you're finding in the supply chain, and it feels very much actually to me like when you look at the auto industry in the, mm. in the 70s, the Japanese manufacturers of automobiles were so much more efficient than the U.S. automakers before. I think what uh, what it forced is everyone to be more efficient over time. I think that there is an inefficiency in terms of how products are sourced. Uh, and how they're brought to the U.S. and how they're sold, because a typical response time right now, you've heard, it can take from idea to uh, to sales a planning cycle of 18 months, uh, up to 18 months for a lot of uh, importers and retailers. And when you talk to Timu or you yeah. talk to Xi'an, they say they can, from idea to sell, they can do that in about four weeks, which yeah. is amazing. The one part of their business also that, completely changes and I always like to follow the money on about on the income statement and cash flow is two things to kind of call out that most people are, don't see when they're looking at it is one is that uh, they have actually negative working capital which means that they get their cash up front and then they pay the factories later so they actually have uh, a big float in fact uh, for these services which is great and I I think from a from the consumer standpoint, you know, the big issue before was that you needed to, when you made a purchase and it was going to be shipped by sea, you had to wait eight weeks for an item to show up. How many times have we gone to Pottery Barn and you order furniture, at least in the U.S., and it takes like six months for it to show up? But there's a lot of items right now that they're air shipping. And so you're getting these items within a week of ordering. And I think that the, the value that a, a consumer is saving in terms of time and the quality items is actually pretty high because it was going to be the same items you're going to buy yeah. from a brand anyway. And the savings that consumers are seeing, they're winning across all three, which is quality, mm. price, and, and, and weight. It doesn't have Amazon Prime on two-day yet, but you are seeing Timu airship in about five to seven days, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And what people usually don't realize, even like the good quality stuff, uh, stuff you're wearing also comes from China. So mm -hmm. it's not, not just the uh, cheap stuff, like even the good stuff. Well, even a lot of iPhones, right? When yeah. people think about it, it's designed yeah, it's, in the U.S. Yeah, it's designed in Cupertino. It's true. Manufactured, but they're coming elsewhere. now more and more from Vietnam, which I know, so I understand. Like Foxconn is moving the mm -hmm. uh, the manufacturing. But you know, the factory uh, to consumer thing is a big trend. I think in retail that's going to play out over the next uh, five to ten years. It's not just China; it's India. It's going to yeah. be Pakistan. It's going to be everywhere. And I do think that the winners will be the consumers because what this is doing it's just kind of collapsing um the time you have to get the old days of minimum order quantities and making sure you buy big and then getting it stuck that making the so, mistakes is gone so so you would not invest into like a um, distribution center supplier right now i think uh distribution centers are required for certain for items no matter what you try to do because at the local front, because there's some items like fresh and some of the others that you actually need to be closer, but there probably will be some excess capacities in some categories. Uh, and, you know, some of those places or distribution centers, they were always getting good deals for those too. I could see those things sticking around. Okay. Next time when we do like record like a second episode, we definitely have to talk about like the grocery market, uh, uh because we have, we don't, we don't have time and we are getting uh, a lot of like angry, angry faces when we are showing, <laughs> showing up late at the next uh, meeting. Anthony, thank you for your time. Sure. Happy to be here.